This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my very good friend and co-host, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going tonight? I'm here. I'm alive. <laughs> Battling off the illnesses. Yeah. Had a, a wonderful case of the flu where it gets way through our entire household in the past week and a half. So on top wow. of that, I, I, I think I've mentioned a couple times, but if you're just tuning in for the first time or whatever, but I'm a, a recently, I've recently returned to school, so I uh, had a flew throughout my finals week this week so it's, that's uh, which, always fun yeah 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 well i'm glad you're you're at least uh working your way back on the mend yeah uh, we're getting there <laughs> our other co-host ryan steiskel sends his regards but couldn't join us tonight but he will be back with us in upcoming episodes yeah um ryan's gung-ho is... to watch the sequel to what we're watching tonight so maybe we'll have him for that one. Oh yeah good point <laughs> uh but this one was picked because this is kicking off our holiday series yeah yeah we're picking christmas movies or holiday movies but like usual on the video junkyard podcast we're going for uh maybe holiday movies that you'd forgotten about or ones that you didn't really think about as a holiday movie uh, yeah not that we always do that, but we do always do that around the holidays. So we, we decided to go with, with um, one tonight that, I don't know, when, when people talk about what's an unconventional Christmas movie, they always bring up Die Hard. Yep. Yeah, we talked about that, I think, at length in our, oh gosh, it was way back when, now when we did the, the our first Christmas episode, we decided not to do specific movies, we just kind of talked about christmas movies in general and what makes a movie a christmas movie and right. we talked about non-conventional christmas movies etc and um yeah die hard is always the one that when you the second you say what is it what's your favorite christmas movie sometimes that'll come up the second you say, like bring up non-conventional christmas movies everyone's all over die hard and they're not wrong i'm not saying they're wrong it's it's certainly got some of those elements but uh i think that the big thing the big distinction that we made um whether you know whether you agree or not, the uh, uh, is there's a difference between a movie that takes place at Christmas and a movie that kind of embodies something Christmassy or about Christmas. So, yeah, yeah. and I, not, I could say that that with Die Hard, I could see how they could make that argument too. There is a yeah, you know, getting back to family kind of thing. It's you know, if you think about it, Die Hard's the same plot that we see in tra- Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's just got more, you know, guns. <laughs> right. Um, but it's the same movie. Same movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but this it's one, It's even though, got the relationship between, you know, the, the cop and then uh, you got your John Candy character and then the cop, oh, Carl yeah. from Family Matters. I forget the uh, name of the, oh, the actor. Yeah. Uh, anyway. That's, that's true. Yeah, you've got kind of the straight man of the comedy. Yeah, but um, <laughs> this, is, this is one, though, that I never... Growing up as a kid, I wasn't like, oh, this is my favorite Christmas movie. I always knew it, obviously, to place around the holidays, but yeah. I never celebrated it as one, which I 
totally do now. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, it it I, I'd say it definitely fits though. It, it um, does absolutely. Um, yeah, kind of the same thing. I, I saw this movie many times uh, growing up, and I'm not sure I really ever like. I was aware it was happening at Christmas time, but I don't know if I like put the thing together of like when you ask favorite Christmas movies. It was it was upon revisiting it as, as an adult that I went, wow, this is a really great Christmas movie. Not only is it a great monster movie and all all the other things, comedy and all the other things that it is, but uh, it actually is a great Christmas movie, and it's very much about Christmas. And yeah. like, yeah, it's yeah, a lot of fun. So, without further ado, we are going to be discussing in detail tonight the 1984 American black comedy horror film, Gremlins. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Rafe. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where did they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. Uh, so this is directed by Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus, stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Polly Holiday, Francis Lee McCain, and Howie Mandel as the voice of the uh, the little creature that would take the world by storm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everybody recognizes Gizmo, even to this day, I think that's a... Yeah. yeah. So, um, give you a quick synopsis for those, I guess I'm going to actually say this, those youngins out there that um, have never seen this one before. Uh -huh. The story follows a young man who receives a strange little creature as a pet, which then spawns other creatures who transform into small, destructive, aggressive monsters that wreak havoc all over a small town on Christmas Eve. Um, yeah, so young man gets this little, cute, adorable, fuzzy creature, which is called a mogwai. Uh, gizmo and there's the rules right that you can't break and he breaks the rules we'll get into those in a minute uh, mm -hmm. but what's your experience with gremlins i <laughs> the movie even, the movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i fed them after no, um 
I can't even remember the first time I saw this. It uh, certainly wasn't in 1984, because I wouldn't have been old enough to really uh, pay attention to it yet. But the, um, I don't know, it was, it was very early on. And I watched this. This is one of those that, as a kid, I just watched over and over again to the point where I had, I remember making, I really liked the music in this movie and some of the, the snippets of dialogue and such. And I remember making audio cassette tapes with a little audio cassette recorder that I had. So I'd play <laughs> the movie and, uh, because there was no, I mean, we, we didn't have, you know, Spotify or anything back in the day. And, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm using a video recorder to record, you know, the theme song. If you've seen gremlins, you'll, you'll, you could probably whistle the theme song to yourself, but, um, yeah, so had my Gremlins tape. I remember that, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if we had this or I had recorded it off of TV or we didn't own a lot of movies growing up. That was something I started doing as I got older. But I I don't know. I I know I somehow saw this many many times, and it it became kind of a, one of those seminal uh, monster movies growing up, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 com- it's a comfort food movie. Even watching it now, going back to it, it's it's, it's yeah. great. So. Yeah, I I had a similar experience. This was a big part of my childhood growing up. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I say I was born in eighty one. It came out in eighty four. Does it say when June of eighty four? So yeah, I still yeah. would have been pretty young. There's no way I saw this in theaters. But it seems odd. Merchan- this was a summer movie. But <laughs> yeah, the merchandising was huge for it. Um, I mean, Gizmo was on everything, lunchboxes, stuffed animals and stuff. And I remember having a couple of little bendable rubber gremlin toys and this little plastic toy Gizmo that I really liked. Um, yeah. And also, like, the kid's storybook version of the movie, which is kind of disturbing if you go back and watch this <laughs> again. Um, that, wow, yeah, this was definitely being... I, I remember reading that or looking at that picture book or maybe even it was one of those listen to the storybook with the record and it dings and you turn the page uh-huh. um, in kindergarten or preschool. So this is one that I was watching a, a rip on beta tape or something like that from HBO um, ever since I was a little kid. So yeah, I, this was a big part of growing up was, was Gremlins. Yeah. I watched this one constantly. Um, but yeah, like you said, never really thought about it as a Christmas film until recently, though I always knew that's when it took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just never really clicked with me. Um, so yeah, there's there's the the rules right with with Mogwai's, which is this bizarre <laughs> Asian pet. Let's actually let's just kind of start at the beginning where you know that opens up. You've got this inventor Randall Peltzer, yep. um, who's uh, <clears throat> played by Hoyt Axton, and he's in Chinatown trying to sell his inventions that don't work <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's not a great inventor he's he's a little bit like the guy i, I know ron popeel was not an inventor himself he was more a, a hawker of these types of gadgets but he's he's kind of like the guy that invented all the stuff that like you'd see on those late night yeah. commercials pocket fishermen and all that yeah. yeah in this case he's got the bathroom buddy that he's really pushing yeah it's like the, is... a swiss army knife of of bathroom toiletry things uh, I remember, like, this is this is how impactful this movie was on my childhood. The first time I saw a Swiss Army knife, I was like, "It's a bathroom buddy." <laughs> like, I actually had this. It's got a toothpick. It's got everything. Um, so yeah, he he wanders into this oddity shop in Chinatown, where this kid whose grandfather runs the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kid shows him 
Gizmo, this little Mogwai. Um, the old man refuses to sell it to him, but the kid sneaks him out and sells it to him anyway and informs him of the rules for Mogwais. Okay, so uh, you can't get them wet. Yep. Sunlight no is deadly to them. They don't like bright lights. Yep, no bright lights. And no feeding them after midnight. Most importantly, yeah. yeah. Never feed them after midnight. And at this point, the movie, and we're, we're, what, five minutes into it? The movie asks you to not ask any more questions <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> regarding those rules. Just don't think about those it. Those are the rules, yep. Just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. Um, so he brings it home and he decides to give this, which is an incredibly irresponsible thing to do. He gives it to his teenage son. Yes. Well, teenage, I don't know, how old do you think Billy is in this? Uh, Billy Zach is... Uh, I think Zach Galligan is older than Billy's supposed to be, but he's certainly post high school. Like I, I'd say, just post high school. Maybe he chose not to go to college or is back from college. Maybe just um, either way, back in his hometown, working kind of a dead end job at the bank. So yeah, so he's not not high school, 20s, but yeah, not early too 20s. far, not too far out. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's got. I don't know if you call him a friend. Um, Judd Reinhold is in this with kind of a glorified <laughs> cameo, really. Um, yeah. Definitely and, not really a friend, but a guy he knew from high school, kind of right. Thing. And he makes the comment about being twenty-two or twenty-three or something like that. Yeah. So I guess that's how they're kind of associating. And his love interest, uh, Kate, played by Phoebe Cates, works at a bar, so she's got to be at least you know a little bit yeah. older. Um, yeah. Between between this movie and and, and it's funny because a lot of people are our age and they they were spoiled compared to me, but knew Phoebe Cates from from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, uh, this is the movie I knew Phoebe Cates from, and it didn't it didn't prevent me from having like one of the world's biggest crushes on him. Between her and like Jennifer Connelly and Labyrinth, when I was a little kid, like this yeah. was my <laughs> my formative <laughs> years. Uh, but um, yeah, later later I find out, you know, it, it, I'm in high school the first time I see Fast Times, and I'm like, oh my god, this existed the whole time. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so, I could have anyway, seen this but... the entire time. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, they really like put that under the rug when we were kids didn't they like no nope, yeah. don't 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 bother with that one <laughs> um but yeah so so the dad gives he gives his 20 something son who still lives at home this very exotic strange pet with three kind of weird rules about it and no other care instructions yeah whatsoever nothing. um but then yeah. we meet gizmo and and it's he's fucking adorable yes yeah, I, I think even as you could be a, a grown man as you know, and uh, firm in your masculinity, and you there's no way you can not think that this creature is a pretty damn cute little guy. Like, so, yeah. So, which I think is why you know in Mandalorian, when we first see Grogu, yeah, oh, it had yeah. the same same impact. But by you know a couple episodes, you're like, hey, wait a minute, this is pretty much Gizmo. <laughs> yeah, without it, the it, fur. Um, Grogu, Grogu, and Gizmo have a lot of similarities, but yeah, yeah, the giant ears, big eyes, you know, cute little voice, um, but and and Gizmo's cool, like he's he's kind of like monkey smart. I don't know how you describe it. Yeah, you know, he he watches TV and pretends to drive cars and stuff like that. He's real cute. He really um, does drive a car at the end. Yeah, of he drives a little Barbie car at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, uh, accidentally, they spill a little bit of water on Gizmo, and you see what happens when you... Um, well, I guess they show the yeah. light thing first. Like He just doesn't like bright lights. He squeals every time he sees lights, so they have to keep yeah. him dim. But when they accidentally spill water on him, 
he shoots out little it's, uh, cotton Billy's <laughs> Billy's young friend Pete, played by Corey Feldman. That's right. Was, this is actually one of his first film roles, um, coming off of doing commercials and such. Um, uh, yeah, he's the one that spills the water on on Gizmo initially, yeah. just by accident, accidentally knocking a like a Billy's thing of paintbrushes or something over because Billy's an artist and yeah. Yeah, so Gizmo starts squealing and he pops all these little ping pong ball cotton ball things out of his back, <laughs> which kind of a is... bizarre scene. This cute little thing's shooting these little fur balls out of its. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a Suriname toad, but cuter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they all pop out of his back and then they grow into mogwais of the same size in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, who aren't quite as cute and aren't quite as well demeanored. As Gizmo. Yeah, you, you get the impression, impression that Gizmo's kind of the oddity. Like, maybe the reason he's still kept around is yeah. because he's nice. Because I think if if, if if the other five or six... Um, is it... How many... Was it five? Yeah, five more Mogwai. Five initially, yeah. Yeah. Um, if that's how most Mogwai are, they're dicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're total little assholes. And I, I, apparently if you dive into... And they've just produced a, an animated series that kind of gives you some background to the Mogwai. Yeah. So I've read a little bit about it. I haven't seen it. But so if you dive back into that a little bit, that uh, the like original Mogwais, so Gizmo is an original, they're they are immortals. They, they don't have a... They, they never die as long as they're not physically harmed. They can be killed, but they never die. Huh. Um, and they are all these, you know, cute little... <laughs> cuddly creatures with like like demeanored like gizmo but their offspring if they um and i don't know if they have a way of mating other than you know the water thing but um their offspring all end up being not <laughs> i don't yeah. know not nice mogwais i'm not sure like Anyway, yeah, yeah there's, there's a prequel series that Joe Dante produced that has recently recently been released or will recently be released. I think released. it's going to be really... released in the um, the uh, Secrets of, Legend of the Mogwai, Secrets of the Mogwai, something like that. Yeah. It's going to be out soon. Um, yeah, and, and one thing I want to mention, too, about Gizmo is that's really when we start seeing the special effects in this movie. And it's, it's an animatronic or it's a puppet, um, but really well done. Like mm-hmm. the the practical effects, in this there's no no visual or uh, digital effects, yeah. Um, but a lot of puppetry and it's really well done. Um, they they give they pull off giving Gizmo making Gizmo a character. Like he's got his own personality yeah. and his own you know reactions to things. And it's never it never looks like a piece of plastic that doesn't move. Right? He, he does all you know has many different facial expressions and um, you know it. I suppose you could nitpick and say there's a couple of a couple scenes here and there where Gizmo doesn't exactly look this like the same Gizmo perfectly, but yeah, but it, but it all looks good and it all works. Like yeah, the, they do a lot of close-up shots on Gizmo, which helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anytime where it's like you see somebody carrying him, it's kind of clearly a, a little puppet thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but overall pretty good. They they uh, they also like I feel like they put a little bit more attention obviously on Gizmo than the other five because you can tell their puppets a little bit more commonly but not terribly yeah. well um, Gizmo yeah. uh, and, and and he's given a kind of a, a a foil or an arch enemy in the Mogwai Stripe that uh, well that Billy named mm-hmm. Stripe because of the stripe of white hair that he has on his head um, Stripe I think is developed as a character the rest of them are just kind of like 
there. <laughs> like they don't really do yeah. anything else. Like, but the the second that Billy mentions like, oh, the one with the stripe seems to be their leader. A stripe kind of steps out as the anti Gizmo. You know, he's the yeah. the he's kind of the leader. Enemy, so yeah, right. Which he then devises a plan. Stripe apparently devises. Oh, well, first they like torment Billy's pet dog. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're just always kind of messing with Gizmo and making a mess. But then they devise a plan where they cut or bite through Billy's alarm clock cable, and thus he doesn't know what time it is. And then they squeal to be fed, so he feeds them after midnight. Yep. Yeah. You find it's out what fed happens after midnight. Well, it turns out a, some chicken yeah, wings. And Gizmo even kind of tries to tip him off because he's like, "Hey, Gizmo, you want, want one of these chicken wings?" And he's like, "No, no, I do not." <laughs> it's, yeah. So, and they I mean, turn into these. The next morning, they're these gigantic, nasty green cocoons, alien-looking, yeah, yeah, egg pod things. Like, yeah, so. yeah. But it definitely gets weird at that point. <laughs> like, it goes from being like lighthearted, kind of strange, weird to just really creepy yeah and 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 what we didn't mention in the beginning of, of the film is this whole situation it started off like chinatown big city kind of thing but uh then kind of flashes forward to this like bedford falls style like small yeah. town at christmas like uh very like right out of it's a wonderful life kind of situation uh, Billy's got his job at the neighborhood bank. You know his his love interest Kate works at like the neighborhood tavern. He knows the neighbors. There's a, a you know the the rich old lady uh, Mrs. Deagle, who you know is just essentially is the the wicked witch character, the Mrs. Gulch who hates the dog and uh, you know yep. um, wants to have his dog his dog put down because it was messing around with her Christmas decorations or whatever. And so you have this very like small town very typical Christmas movie stuff going on in the first act of this movie. And then I think at the point you're talking about, it definitely takes a turn into a different realm. It it like, does. And it that's when I feel you start picking up this is a Joe Dante movie. Yeah. Um, it's just not to diverge too much from the story, but this is one of my favorite times in Steven Spielberg's career where mm-hmm. he had the clout and he, you know, he had the say and he started being executive producer on movies by bringing in really great horror directors to make family horror films like this and Poltergeist with Toby Hooper. Mm -hmm. It was like Spielberg was showing some creepy shit and, you know, by, as an executive producer, it's one of my favorite eras. Yeah. I would even put Goonies in with that, you know. Yeah, he was recognizing, you know, what, what at that point would have been the young talent, you know, people coming out of and, and getting them involved with Amblin and his, I, I don't know exactly when Amblin kicked off, but when the three of them, Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy and, and Steven Spielberg, started that company, um, they brought on a lot of these. They would hire like young people they're impressed by. So, so that means Spielberg. I can't really picture it, you know, just knowing his like his very um, kind of uh, family friendly demeanor that he has, like being a big fan of like The Howling and Chainsaw Massacre and all this stuff. But obviously, he was. He was finding those filmmakers and getting them you know on board with these projects that he was green lighting so yeah and yeah well you know this is thank him for doing that (laughs) and if you look at like and that's exactly what i think happened you have joe uh joe dante who starts out doing roger corman movies Mm -hmm. um you know then he he makes piranha which was a pretty popular schlocky horror film helps with rock and roll high school um 
And then he, he makes a big splash with The Howling as like a legitimate big budget horror film. Um, and that's when Spielberg, I think, really got his attention, or he got Spielberg's attention, and he brought him in then for the Twilight Zone movie, and then moves to this. Um, and so it's really at that cool point in, in, I feel, Dante's career, too, where he's he's just got off of doing things like The Howling and Twilight Zone when he makes this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it has that feel to it. And then if you look at the movies that he made after this, they all have the same kind of off the off the wall feel like the burbs and stuff like that yeah he 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 has a very like all the way through his career even up to his more modern films he has a kind of off-kilter suburbia thing to like a lot of his uh yeah but the burbs especially is a great example of that but i think that's that's present in gremlins that's present in matinee i don't know if you've ever seen matinee yeah um it's present in yeah a lot of his his work so this kind of like yeah yeah, um, off kilter suburb 1950s and 60s suburbia probably probably from i mean i i don't know for sure that that's how where where and how joe dante grew up but i'm guessing that that isn't too yeah. far off the mark well and it he, I'll, it's no secret he's one of my favorite directors and it's it's because of movies like like this one and, and especially because mm-hmm. it it takes that really dark turn when it's 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 I love the scene too because it's the the Mogwais have all just got done eating and there's these close up shots and they're all greasy and shit like that because they just got done eating. <laughs> all the new wings. Mogwais are so gross and different. Yeah, they really are. Movie. They're like creepy little snow monkeys or something. <laughs> and then it it the camera cuts to Gizmo and Billy laying in bed watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yep. And they're both kind of creeped out but getting tired and falling asleep. The, you know, it, it fades to black, fades back up, and the first thing you hear is Howie Mandel's gizmo voice going, uh-oh, and you see these <laughs> pods on the floor with these tendrils, and there's, like, slime everywhere. It's just totally out of left field. You know, this movie was like, oh, it's about these cute little fuzzy creatures, and then it just gets really creepy and gross. Um, yeah. And then they hatch. <laughs> um, and... The the first real reveal though of the gremlins in this, yeah, uh, they, they keep them hidden in the shadows for a little while. They're yeah. scuttering around and yeah. I think the first time you see them though, and the cool thing is the first time you really see one, it's in fairly good lighting. Mm-hmm. Like you see, you get to see it, see them right away. They don't hold back like Jaws or something. Um. So yeah, the five hatch, and I. Th- think the mom dispatches four of them right away yeah the billy's mom's kind of a badass in this movie actually yeah. uh she um yeah takes care of four four of them i think in the in the first scene um she i believe stabs one with a knife she microwaves one um stand mixer the yeah the the juicer the juicer yeah <laughs> the the pelter juicer machine that was malfunctioning early and um and then doesn't one get its head cut yeah. off and flicked into the fire yeah billy takes out that one so i guess she yeah it's attacking her he takes one of the sword display swords off the wall and and beheads one and then stripe is uh escapes after yeah, yeah. so they almost contain the problem but stripe gets yeah. out and then Goes and to Stripe, the by the way, you mentioned <laughs> Howie Mandel being a famous personality that's voicing Gizmo. Stripe, by the way, is 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 voiced by Frank Welker, 
who yeah. is uh, famous for doing lots of 80s cartoon voices of uh, Transformers, but most famously recently and still doing the voice of Scooby-Doo. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I want to yeah. see Optimus Prime doing the Stripe voice <laughs> in the yeah. next Transformers movie. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, yeah the, uh, the Gremlin designs are pretty cool. They um, are. Yeah, the Gremlins are, are great. Yeah, they've got these kind of like pointy chins and little spikes coming off their faces, scales, the big ears, They're, but they definitely look like a, a, a reptilian version of, of a mogwai. Yeah, longer yeah. legs and stuff. So yep. they're a little a cool taller, uh, but yeah, look look essentially like yeah, that's perfect. Reptilian mogwai is exactly what they look like. So. Yeah, um, and. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, no, the link to the, the calling them gremlins and the way that the movie kind of gets the uh, the name yeah. of it, I think, is the, the mythology based around, we get through um, Dick Miller, so. Yeah, it's movie a Joe playing, Dante movie, so. Yeah, <laughs> of course, has has a, more than a cameo in this one, a, a little bit meatier of a role, but yeah, uh, Mr. plays Futterman. Mr. Mr. Futterman, who's Billy's neighbor and also, like, a little bit of the town drunk, but good-hearted town drunk, I think. Um, he is very uh, concerned about, well, he's got a big problem with everything kind of foreign, but he's a World War II vet and starts telling stories about, you know, the gremlins and the gremlins that used to get into the machinery and the planes and such. And uh, you can't trust foreign electronics because of the gremlins and all this. Um, so really that, you know, whether these are or aren't the same gremlins that he's talking about from World War II, it's his his reaction to them that gets them dubbed gremlins um, and thus names this film, I believe. So, yeah, wasn't it a... And I, I saw this on the the Wikipedia thing, but I think it actually does go back to that. It was a... Um, yeah, World War II, but it was the... Believed that they were like the, the British pilots claimed mm -hmm. uh, about these little... You know, it was probably a name just given to malfunctioning whatever... But yeah. then they get... Well, and still, you'll hear people, especially older older people, say things about the gremlins. I, I've heard people like literally use it like that. Nah, it's got gremlins in it, but so yeah, it's kind of like saying a computer has bugs. Yeah, you know, or mm -hmm. a software has bugs. In this case, it's the gremlin is whatever is not you know working appropriately. It's the gremlin destroying it. But in, it it is kind of a cool tie-in because they they're never specifically called gremlins. Yeah. It's just Futterman tells his story, and then, well, I guess he does call him that. He does, does when he? he sees them. Yeah, he's, yeah, he calls him that. Yeah, because uh, they run over him and his wife with his snowplow. But he, yeah, he he mentions that they're or so we're led to believe. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Dick Miller. Dick Miller turned into like uh, post Roger Corman, kind of the guy that dies in all of the '80s movies. Like he's always a. Uh, yeah, well, he's in uh, every one of uh, <laughs> every one of Dante's movies or yep. was, and yeah, uh, yeah he's I he's got a great cameo the... in a movie we, we covered on the podcast, at Chopping Mall, as well. I yep. So, like, yeah, I just always remember him too as the occult bookshop owner in The Howling. Yep. Um, yep. And he's he's uh, in the scene with uh, Forrest Ackerman, right? From like yeah. the publisher of <laughs> yeah, uh, Famous Monsters Filmland. So yeah, yeah it's. You know, it's it's always nice to see him in, in this Joe, stuff too. Joe Dante, I think, out of out, a lot of these, this generation of horror film directors, all grew up as the quote unquote monster kids. You know, people grew up on Famous Monsters magazine and, and kind of all the classic monster movies. But I think he he's the one that has kind of tied it 
tied it the most into his filmmaking with you know bringing in Dick Miller and Forey Ackerman in that situation. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I also wonder if Gremlins was always and I, don't, I have no idea. This is I'm just speculating out loud. But um, if Gremlins was always the name of this script, uh, we, we we did mention at the top of the show that uh, Chris Columbus, who goes on to work with Spielberg extensively and becomes a you know a very famous director in his own right. Um, wrote the script for this and it's one of the first yeah. major scripts he sold to Hollywood I, I wonder if it was always a Gremlins script if that was literally what it was or, or whether there was an influence from the fact that Spielberg and Dante had just remade the famous Gremlin uh, Twilight Zone episode for the Twilight Zone film that's um, true just prior to this with John Lithgow playing the Shatner character but uh, I don't know just thinking well and loud, I did notice <laughs> I after watching this repeatedly you know, as a kid, there's things I didn't notice. I never noticed the Twilight Zone movie poster in Billy's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed on when Billy goes into the kitchen to get the chicken wings. Did you catch this? When he goes into the kitchen to get the chicken for the, the mean Mogwais, there's a smiley face sticker on the refrigerator door. Now, yeah. Yep. Which is a reference to the Halloween. Yep. So I got a kick out of that this time. I never noticed there's, that. Before. There's some good pop culture stuff. Billy's got his whole bedroom kind of plastered in monster kid stuff. There's a Fangoria, some issues of Fangoria. There's some good monster yeah. posters up and yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So Stripe <coughs> makes his Stripe escapes and he makes his way to the YMCA where he jumps into the swimming pool. And this <laughs> he time he just jump. He does a cannonball. He does like, like a cannonball <laughs> in there. It's really funny. Um, and this time it bypasses the whole Mogwai's reproducing. Now he just turns into a bunch of shit. Yeah. Lots of gremlins. Of gremlins. Um, <laughs> yeah. Billy and Gizmo attempt to stop him. But no, they fail, so. and they uh, all of a sudden there's literally thousands of gremlins all over the town of Kingston Falls. It's mm-hmm. awesome, and <laughs> that's really the the best parts of the movie are these little things, just where they're popping up. And th- there's actually some pretty violent stuff in here. There's this the mean old lady, right? The the wicked witch, Mrs. Deagle. Yeah, yeah. She gets taken out on her chairlift. They launch her out of her house of the, by malfunctioning the chairlift. But what I did think it, was kind of cool is it does play into Dick Miller's Gremlins thing mm-hmm. because they do tinker with machinery and electronics and they make yeah. things malfunction. It's they pretty much what do they that. do. Yeah, that's how yeah. they take everybody out. They don't. They don't like eat people, or they they kind of mess with the electronic devices and yeah. Yeah, they make her chairlift <laughs> ejector the, seat. Essentially, the only person that they they really attack the way that they attack, um, like with their claws and teeth is, is Billy's mother. Everybody else, they're kind of tinkering with things. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so. how they really do it. But um, there's a lot of little gags with the gremlins, too. They're dressed up yeah. in little... Well, they call they know. call this a dark, a dark comedy, and it's, its main source of humor is when the gremlins kind of take over the town. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah they, they, they take over the bar, which is one of the best scenes the bar that phoebe cates is working in because you've got them they're all dressed up in different outfits and they're all behaving in you know they're all getting wasted essentially there's the one that just like lays underneath the tap and you see his stomach expanding there's a lot of great practical gags Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of background gags too going on that i I took note of there's (laughs) the the convention that the dad is at the invention convention Mm -hmm. when he's on the phone with (laughs) billy there's a, a scene in the background where there's the time machine from H.G. Wells' 
a time machine. Mm -hmm. And they're like, some people are messing with it. It cuts to, you know, Billy, and then it cuts back to the convention, and the machine's gone. <laughs> and a bunch of people <laughs> are looking around like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. So that and kind of stuff was pretty funny. Also the scene where he's calling them from the convention and Robbie the robot from uh, was it Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet, Planet walks this, by, yeah. Yeah, and he's in the phone booth behind him talking on the phone. <laughs> yeah. I also noticed in Kingston Falls, the doctor's office is Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of little, little. Yeah, they're having, having fun with it. So. Yeah. 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 And of course, none of the police believe what's going on at first. Um, though I did notice one of the, uh, one of the cops, I never noticed this. Well, I wouldn't have noticed it before, but Jonathan Banks is the deputy, deputy Brent. Um, oh, okay. he yeah. later goes on to being in, you know, Better Call Saul and of course Breaking Bad and a number mm -hmm. of other things, but that's, he's a, an I, yeah. actor who, you know, has been in a lot of stuff, but really got a lot of his attention later in life. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even, even this time through, I didn't really place him as being, he looked familiar, but yeah, you're right. That's. And, um, they finally find a way or they, they discover all the gremlins have kind of congregated in one location in the movie theater um, where they go to watch Snow White <laughs> <laughs> and they really like it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're into that movie. They're doing flips over the seats and yeah, singing along with the songs. Yeah. It's got a very like <laughs> Muppet, like, you know, Muppet movie kind of vibe to it there, but all horrific little creatures. Yeah. Um, well, so and then he, they burn the whole place down. Yeah, I was just saying, since they're all in one place, that's how they get rid of them. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Stripe escapes. <laughs> yeah. Of course it's Stripe. We still have 10 more minutes of the movie, and, <laughs> or 15. Um, and then there's another scene where they're in a, what is it, a Montgomery Ward department store. Yeah. So, Stripe's trying to get to water, yeah. make more gremlins, like, yeah, anywhere he can find it. So, and they're trying to stop him. So then we get yeah. the, you know, we get, Gizmo driving the driving the Barbie car. Yep. And, uh, yeah. The final Thank struggle and and finally, the thing that you know in vampire movie style, the thing that finally does strike in is that daylight dawns and uh, he gets uh, hit by the bright sunlight. And, yeah, you and see what happens to a gremlin when it gets blasted with yeah. sunlight. It's pretty disgusting. Melts into a you know gross pile of green goo and viscera. That was it's kind of similar to the end of the original Evil Dead movie with the amount of melty gross yeah. stuff that we see here, which is interesting in a PG rated uh, family film. So, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a gross scene. Yeah, like you know, white eyeballs, stuff dripping off of the skull, kind of thing, and bones turning to gel it's it's pretty yeah. nasty it's but especially because it does it's uh like hor in horror movie fashion it does it's it's dead kind of we poke it and it you know he jumps rears up back up and jumps up for a second and yeah he's kind of like skeletal and it's kind of the opposite of like the frank's rebirth scene in hellraiser you know? <laughs> <laughs> he just he's falling apart and stuff coming together yeah. um but and then the at the very end the uh the old man from the Chinatown shop comes and takes Mr. Wing, his name is, uh, mm -hmm. takes Gizmo back from, from the family, and that's the movie ends. But it's, uh, I could totally see how this movie spawned a franchise, but unfortunately only made one 
one film after this, but now we're getting you know these these animated thing. But yeah. I, it's only been a matter of time before this one gets kind of respawned, so to speak. Yeah, or it's uh, it's it's a fun movie. It, it's a it's a great little monster movie. Um, I was going to ask about kind of the thing that we led with on this is what do you think it is about gremlins that makes it a good christmas movie other than the fact that it's you know obviously it's set at christmas but well i mean the the whole premise is about like a christmas gift mm-hmm. that you know goes haywire essentially um <laughs> yeah but i mean i think the the scenes and the setting of it play into that and that's something i know we've discussed previously with with holiday films is it's not enough that it just takes place during the holidays but at the same time, the holiday scenery paints a specific time of year. It really sets not just a setting, but a setting in time. Yeah. That that does, you know, play into it. So the the scene when they the original five have hatched as gremlins and they're stalking Billy's mom. Um the the use of the, the holiday stuff around there is really kind of impactful. The, the, they're messing with the record of Christmas carols and songs that mm-hmm. are being played. I still can't hear, is it the Bing Crosby or whoever the hell sings that version of Do You Hear What I Hear? Yeah, I still can't hear, hear that <laughs> that version without... And it's such a great use of that song in this scene. You know, she's listening around the house and that music's playing. You know, they're they're eating the Christmas cookies and they're caroling and all this shit. It it <laughs> yeah. really plays into it, and then they also throw in the really bizarre <laughs> Phoebe Kate side story. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, based on an urban legend that uh, we've all yeah. probably heard before. But yeah, yeah, that she hates Christmas because her when she was a little girl, her father was dressing up as Santa, and he tried coming down the chimney to surprise him, and he got stuck, and he died, and. She's, you know, traumatized by understandably. It's just a really weird part in this film. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I get what they were doing with that story, because it's like a, a famous urban legend. Um and they were kind of giving her a reason to kind of hate Christmas and having a traumatic past with the whole thing. And another another element that is makes us very much a Christmas movie that there's a subplot of, you know, what this romantic budding romantic relationship, but one of them hates Christmas and one of them does it. And they're kind of having conversations about, about that and what a great time of year it is. Um, I'm not sure it was necessary to have her character, but it gave her character something to do, I guess too. Cause she's, she's a little wasted in this, that she doesn't have much, much to do in this movie. Um, yeah. she's just kind of, you know, gets to play love interest, but um, Christmas movie wise, I think this this whole thing is very much set in this like spirit of Christmas. I mean, they, as I just mentioned, they have some discussions about that actual topic. Yeah, it also is you know like small town America Christmas decorations. Um, like you said, the Gremlin gags play into Christmas, like they're Christmas caroling at one point, and they're mm-hmm. you know doing the holiday stuff. So it's I don't know. To me, it's more than just a movie that coincidentally takes place at Christmas. Christmas is part of the story, and I think that's that's the thing that, you know, um, just the, the fact of Gizmo, like you said, being a, a Christmas gift for for Billy is, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. It makes this very much a Christmas film. 
Yeah, and I don't think it's a movie that really you read into too much. Right. Like, I'm sure somebody could sit back and write a thesis about how, well, you know, the destruction of the gremlins is showing something about the capitalization of the holidays. Whatever. You know, you, yeah. can, <laughs> you can twist that however you want. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, there's enough discussion and the setting is so strong. You know, the... the when the, the title flashes up on the screen, it says Gremlins, you're seeing Kingston Falls, you're seeing you know, the kids as they're getting ready to go to school for their last day of school, there's people buying Christmas trees, mm-hmm. there's the, the conversation with the, the tenants who's, you know, they apparently rent from Mrs. Deagle, and they're oh, asking yeah. her for a break on, on, you know, when the rent is due, and she's very Grinch-like about it, or, you know, Scrooge, I should say. Yep. Um, you know that all kind of plays into this <coughs> this setting you know it's one thing to say this takes place in a small town it's another thing to say this takes place in a small town during the holiday season that mm. i think is a, a bigger part could they have leaned into it more sure you know they could have without it jeopardizing anything in the film but it just it doesn't it, it tells its own story in this very particular holiday setting um, but no, it's not about anything with like the Christmas spirit or anything like that. They they maybe try to dip a toe in the water, I think, with the conversation Billy has with Kate about which like the holidays kind of a thing. But that's mm. it doesn't really push it into anything right. necessarily. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, could this be? Could you have a Gremlins movie in another holiday? Sure. Yeah, you, know, you, you could do a Halloween one. It'd be pretty fun. I think you can do Gremlins movie anytime. Like it, it would yeah. work. There's nothing that ties this to Christmas. Just this specific Gremlins film. Yeah, yeah. Which is very much a Christmas it, film. But. And I know we mentioned that we might be getting into it at some point in the future, but just briefly, the sequel to this, which <laughs> came out a few years later, um, is very different in tone and everything. <laughs> it came in uh, out almost almost a decade later. It was like 1990, early 1990s, wasn't it? Oh Versus yeah, I guess the, it was early. Um, 90 or something like that. Yeah, 90. I could, you know, go look. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was in 90. So it was about six years later. Um, And it's a very different film. You know, it still has Billy and Kate and Gizmo in it. But it's... It's a different... Yeah. It's a different different kind of movie. But what I do appreciate about it is how self-aware it is. Even poking Mm. fun at some of the aspects of this one. You know, they, they make fun of the rules a little bit because they really don't make any sense. In the sequel, there there's a part where Billy's trying to explain the rules to some people and they're all like, well, wait a minute, what if the gremlin is on an airplane and it cross, crosses a time zone? <laughs> Which is like, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. You know, or what if it's just a humid day? Would, would they reproduce then? Uh, and they also make fun of uh, Phoebe Kate's holiday phobias a little bit mm. there there's a gag in the sequel about abraham lincoln's birthday <laughs> she hates lincoln's birthday <laughs> uh, so that and I, I bring that up only because when we look at some of the other directors that were kind of from this this batch i guess to use the term yeah. um you know we it's mentioned we mentioned how toby hooper kind of like joe dante steven spielberg you know here do a do a, a, a dark family movie um and it's it's very similar with with like when Toby Hooper went from Chainsaw One to Chainsaw Two. It's a really yeah. really different movie. It's it's a little more self aware. Um, same kind of thing here. So it, it's showing a, a generation of horror directors who have a sense of humor. They know how to criticize themselves. 
Um, they're not afraid to take the characters that they make from one installment and change them up a little bit in the second one. And that's kind of cool. We don't see a lot of that anymore, as we were talking about before we recorded tonight, how, you know, there's there seems to be this phobia in Hollywood about recasting, yeah, you know, your, your characters or something like that, or your leads. In this case, we have the same cast, but it's just a different movie. And directors yep. didn't really worry about doing that back then, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. But, but this one, standing on its own, yeah, it's definitely a very self-contained film, and but it's ripe for for expansion, right? It, it it wouldn't have had to have a sequel. Like it doesn't drop you on a cliffhanger or anything like that. But no, um, yeah, the, the, certainly you could make a sequel. You could make more of these things now. So that there's obviously uh, there's been talk about being a third Gremlins movie for years and years and years at this point. Uh, Joe Dante has mentioned that he's open to it, but there's been multiple versions of scripts and they haven't landed anything. So, well, and I can well, kind we'll of see, see if we why. Ever see that. I can kind of see why because, you I mean you could do something to expand the mythology or something like that, but you can you really only need one movie where gremlins are you know wreaking havoc in a small town, mm-hmm. and then we got a movie where gremlins are wreaking havoc in a sky rise building in New York. Yeah. All right. Well, what's left? I mean, you, I'm not trying to say that creativity is limited, but. You know, right. at you some point you got to do something else. somewhere and yeah. You know, yeah. I guess without doing something weird like let's make the gremlins mainstream and everybody knows about them and it's, you know, they're people have pet mogwais. You know, it's weird shit like that that they try to do. Um, I'm, yeah, not really sure how they do that, but. I would also be worried about a world with CGI gremlins. I think you'd have to keep this practical and uh, yeah. I don't think anyone studio wise or. Anybody would be real hot on the idea of doing a practical effects movie and her entire practical effects movie. I don't know. Yeah. We're big on nostalgia now, so you might be able to get it greenlit at this point. But Yeah, that's true. It's possible. So, Do you have any uh, final thoughts and a grade for Gremlins? Um, I'm trying to think if we didn't talk about anything that I noticed or that I wanted to talk about in this movie. I think we hit most of the most of the keys. Uh, it is one of my favorite Christmas movies, and... Uh, Honestly, Gremlins probably gets on the list, and I don't know how long the list is, but of, of favorite movies of all time, so my grade's obviously going to be pretty good. <laughs> uh, wow. Gremlins is a really funny, dark comedy. I'm not sure it's quite the family film that it was once marketed to be. Um, old, If you have older kids, and I mean like, you know, 8+, plus, I think this is perfectly fine. I don't think there's anything that's going to like scar them for life here. It just... Uh, um, my main reason I, w- I probably wouldn't show it to my kids and I totally forgot about this is, uh, actually the, you know, Santa Claus, no Santa Claus story. It's that, that would worry me more than, yeah. than the most of the violence and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a, I mean, not the end of the world. You could explain that away, but if your kids are still believers, you wouldn't want gremlins to ruin it for them. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I will, I will say that I probably was still believing in Santa years after I, was obsessed with this movie. Same yeah, I here. Just, I somehow <laughs> same separated here. it, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't want to risk it. Right. So, um, but yeah, I know this is a, a, a favorite film of mine. Um, it's, I still find this to be very, very funny. The gremlins are hilarious. There's a lot of great set pieces. Uh, the bar scene, the theater scene. I, I could watch gremlins goof around for an entire another movie, which, you know, we might get to do someday. So, um, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know, lots of fun. It's also a really great kind of throwback monster movie. We didn't talk about much about the 1950s, you know, small town monster invasion sure. movies kind of influence that this has as well. Um, but yeah, I think it, it modernizes that to, to the 1980s very well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's simple. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the special effects are good. It's, uh, it, it, you know, I think they even hold up to this day for the most part. Um yeah, I don't know. For for me, and I you know I always do admit that some of this is the nostalgia, but for me, Gremlins is an A movie for sure. Like yeah. it's uh, just a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm right up there with you. I mean, it from a technical perspective with like practical effects. Yes, there's a few scenes where you can tell that there's a different puppet being used for a shot, um, but it overall feels pretty cohesive and consistent throughout the film. Um, great use of of puppetry. Um, comedy, dark comedy, set in the holiday season. This, not to use the cliche, they don't make them like this anymore. But they really don't. I mean, this is this is a great example to explain to people what it was like to be like a, a small child in the early and mid '80s. Well, we were watching stuff like this when we were way too young compared mm-hmm. to what kids today would watch. And that's not to to you know poke anybody or, or you know or you know belittle anybody it's just they there's a different kind of you know this i some might call this a uh, this is a film for latchkey kids you know (laughs) yeah we were watching things maybe we shouldn't have been um but surprisingly marketed at at, at small children as well that's what we liked um but yeah this one is always going to be a favorite of mine too and so uh with performances uh storytelling pacing everything it's it's a i can see why it has its long-lasting appeal uh, beyond just the nostalgia factor, so I'm going to go with an A on this one as well. Um, but we'd love to know what any of our listeners think of Gremlins, and yeah, someday we're going to talk about the sequel, but not too much more tonight. Uh, but we'd love to know what any of your thoughts are on Gremlins or any of your favorite memories of this film. Please feel free to send and share any of those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms to the Video Junkyard Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Junk Pod and find us on Facebook and Instagram on our main Video Junkyard Podcast pages. If you write it, we'll read it, and we look forward to hearing from you. And if you like what you hear and would like to, uh, to help us create more Video Junkyard Podcasts, uh, please head over to the uh, our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast and consider giving a small donation Got any money? to help us... Uh, keep making these podcasts um uh as well with your donation you would uh get the right to select movies for our podcast as well as um exclusive content a couple times a year and um yeah i would appreciate appreciate the uh help and if uh whether you're donating it or not we appreciate you being here and um would like you to come consider coming back for the rest of our christmas celebration this year and and beyond that of course but uh we're going to be checking out some as we always do at the holidays some slasher movies uh we're going to look at a uh, black christmas and new year's evil so um mm-hmm. to what we would what would commonly be called slasher movies i may make an argument when we talk about black christmas that it's not quite that's not quite what it is but uh that's for another show uh, of course we want to thank our our um, current patrons, uh, Scott Stewart and Tony Rodriguez, thanks as always for hanging in there and being uh, members of the Video Junkyard podcast family. And um, yeah, I hope you'll come back and uh, for the rest of the holidays and beyond. Yeah, we want to thank you once again for listening to the Video Junkyard podcast and hope that if you've enjoyed it, you will share it around. Just uh, throw a little bit of water on it and let it reproduce. 
So, until next time, <laughs> this is the video. After midnight. Just don't feed it after midnight. Don't listen after midnight. <laughs> until next time, this is the Video Junkier Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard? <laughs>